0: Well, let's turn finally in our Bibles to Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, as uh, your Bible might say. We'll come back to that in just a bit, the title. Uh, Acts chapter 1, so if you have your Bible, the New Testament, it's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's this uh, great book in between the Gospels and the Epistles or the letters, uh, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, or just Acts. Uh, there's a sermon notes page for you there. that has the Bible verses printed out there, a little summary and uh, some notes. So we're going to focus our hearts this morning for just a bit. Uh, verses 1 through 11. So I don't, have my, I don't have my phone in front of me with, with uh, my, my clock. It's right there. So uh, I think last Sunday, uh, Reverend Johnson went really short. So I've got to make up for it today. And it's my first sermon as a, as a doctor. So uh, you guys are... I don't think there's any like extra special blessing in that, but... Um, I plan not to go two hours, I, I, I promise, okay? Uh, Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. And if I feel like we're going too long, I'll come back to it next Sunday. So uh, Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, this is Luke, uh, the gospel writer, okay? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up Not many days from now. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lords, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sights. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, in the in the middle of Lake Geneva, there's a castle. Uh, it's called the Chateau de Chillon, and uh, the only way to get to that castle is by a little bridge. And there's a lot of uh, cool castles throughout uh, Europe uh, in the middle of w- bodies of water uh, that you can only get there through a bridge. That was how you protected yourself back uh, in the day. But there's a bridge that uh, gets you to uh, the chateau. Uh, it's kind of like, it's not really exactly like, but kind of like uh, uh, Coronado Island. It's not really an island, is it? it uh, it's a peninsula, but uh, Coronado, right? And there's, uh, there's the bridge that, that goes over. You could go all the way down if you wanted to and come all the way back up to get to it. But uh, why do that when you got a cool bridge, right? Uh, to take you from uh, the city of San Diego over to Coronado. Uh, bridges connect things. Bridges connect things. And uh, the book of Acts is is a bridge, or it's like a bridge, uh, that connects two things, connects two things. Uh, What Jesus did to fulfill the old covenants so his life, the gospel story, uh, and Acts connects us to what Jesus did in uh, fulfillment of the old covenant to what is now doing, what is now doing in the New Covenant. So what he did in the past and what he's now doing in the present. You see that there where where Luke says uh, all that he began to do and we'll come to that uh, in just a bit. But Acts is a bridge between what Jesus did and what Jesus is now doing, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, It's it's a bridge between uh, 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 what Jesus did on earth in his life and his ministry to what he's now doing from Heaven as the ascended Christ, it's a bridge between what Jesus did in the land of promise, amongst the Jews primarily, to what He's now doing in the world, throughout uh, the known world, throughout the, the world of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So it acts is like a bridge. Okay? It's like a bridge from what Jesus did to what Jesus is doing, uh, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, the Promised Land, the whole world, what he did on earth and what he's now doing from heaven. Uh, and so here you and I are this morning. Uh, how many miles is it from here this morning all the way to Jerusalem? Do you know? I googled it this morning so I know. Okay. Um, any, anybody know? Curious? It's a long way, isn't it? Uh, it's 7,619 miles. So we'll just say, you know, it's a long way, 7,619 miles from Jerusalem to this very location uh, this morning. Uh, How many years has it been since Jesus died on the cross? Yeah, roughly 2,000, right? Uh, He died in 33 AD, so how many years is that? It's 1,989, right? It's a long time ago uh, in in a land far, far away from us, even today, if we were to fly there, Uh, it would take us uh, most of one whole day. It would take a really long time uh, to fly and to get to Jerusalem. So here you and I are this morning, uh, in this place, very far away from Jerusalem. Uh, We're very, very far away in history, even farther away in history, uh, by some 2,000 years from what Jesus did. what He uh, he came to die and to rise again. So we're far away. We're in a far-off land. Uh, we're in a place that the apostles never dreamed of. Almost two millennia from a time in which they lived. And, and we need some kind of a connection then to that place far away and that place very distant uh, from us in terms of time. And so Acts is like a bridge. Acts is like a bridge uh, for our faith. It's a bridge for our faith. So that you and I would have would know that our faith uh, is in an historic person. Uh, we have an historic faith. It's rooted in real time, space, and history. Uh, these are not myths and fables, as the apostles remind us throughout their writings. And so Acts is a bridge for us that our faith in things that are unseen, as Hebrews 1 describes, uh, can be reality for us. That we know that the things that happened really happened in real places, by real people, uh, in real time, amongst real situations in the first century. So Acts is a bridge for us to root our faith in real history and to bring, as it were, to bring with our hands, that is the hand of faith, to bring those things done so many thousands of miles away, so many thousands of years ago, to bring them to us by the hand and mouth of our soul, which is our faith and so that's what acts is acts is like a bridge and so uh, we 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 went from uh, the gospel of mark uh, like two years ago and then into from that's the new testament all the way back to the old testament to genesis and then we want to pop all the way back forward uh, in time to acts And i want you to see here this morning uh, when 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 luke is describing uh, to theophilus uh, the things uh, of his uh, uh, first book uh, and now this is the second book or the second volume. The things that Jesus began to do, and that implies now the things that Jesus continues to do. And so we want to think about Luke and his two volumes this morning. Uh, and so notice with me then. Uh, first of all, the context, uh, contents. Sorry, the contents of volume one. The contact, of his first book. Uh, that I'm calling here Volume 1. He writes to this man Theophilus, or Theophile in Greek. Uh, this is a friend of God. That's what his name means, friend of God. Uh, and he wrote uh, in the Gospel uh, as well to him. If you turn back in Luke's Gospel, so just go backwards, two books, uh, Luke's Gospel, you'll see there the beginning of Luke also is written to this very same man. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. That's the things that Jesus began to do here in, Luke, uh, uh, here in Acts 1. Uh, just as those who from the beginning, meaning Jesus' life, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us, speaking there of the apostles especially. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So Luke was written, the gospel of Luke was written in Acts as well, so that you and I, like Theophilus, this friend of God, might have certainty in the things that we have believed. It's not just that we would believe Jesus, believe in him, but that we would know that for sure, to have confidence. And so in the first book, he says, or the first uh, volume, this, this, this language here, Proton Logon, is, uh, it's used uh, in ancient writers such as Herodotus, who's a great Greek historian, uh, and he d- divides up his histories um, uh, into uh, logon, these, these, these divisions of history. So really volume here, he's speaking of volumes, first volume and now second volume. Uh, he says he's, uh, he's already dealt with the things that Jesus began to do and teach uh, when he had given command to the Holy Spirit uh, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive, he says, after a suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Of God. And so you see there, he, he describes his first volume as uh, ending with the ascension. Ending with the ascension. He was taken up. And if you go back again in Luke's Gospel, so just turn back uh, in your Bible, back uh, to John, and then keep going to Luke. The very last part of Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, uh, where does Luke end? Well, he ends in verse 50. And he, Jesus, led them, the apostles, out as far as Bethany. That's just a tad bit east of Jerusalem. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them, as the Old Testament priests would do, and he now is that great final high priest. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so Luke now picks up where he's left off, with the ascension in this second volume to describe the things that Jesus began to do. And he's going to also talk about especially the things that he's continuing to do while he was taken up from us. And notice there, back in Acts chapter 1, when he he describes the contents of that first volume, the things that Jesus began to do, notice the end point is the ascension, which we just saw at the end of, of Luke, but notice how he describes, really, he summarizes for us all that Jesus began to do. Was Jesus born? Yes, yes he was born. Uh, did he grow up as a child? Yes. Luke's gospel tells us he was in the temple, right? And he was arguing and debating with the scribes and so forth. Uh, did Jesus, uh, was Jesus baptized? Yes. What, uh, did he perform miracles? Yes. Did he teach in parables? Did he preach, say, and and feed the 5,000? Et cetera, et cetera, right? I mean, we we have the the account of all that he did and taught, at least as much as we need to know. Uh, John's Gospel tells us, of course, that if we were to write all these things down, there would be no amount of books in the world uh, to to recount them all. But we know what Jesus did and taught as we read the Gospel of Luke. But notice how Luke summarizes all that. Verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after... His suffering by many proofs. So what are those two things that he summarizes the entire gospel with? What are the two things? Come on now, people. His death and what? His resurrection, right? His suffering speaks of his death and uh, his presenting himself alive. His resurrection. The whole gospel can be summarized in this. That Jesus died and he was raised. He suffered and then he entered into glory. Uh, of first importance, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised again according to the scriptures. The whole gospel summarized in that. Death, resurrection. Death and Resurrection. In other words, here you and I are, thousands of miles away, thousands of years from these events, and what does Luke want us to know? That the summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for us and that he rose for us. Do you need to hear that? But don't you already believe it? If you already believe that he died for you and rose again, why do you need to hear it again? We're We're sinners. Do you forget that Jesus died for that sin? Yes. Yeah, we can forget that, can't we? Can you forget when you are struggling spiritually, can you forget that Jesus rose again to give you new life when you're struggling with the past life? Yes. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel again and again and again because of our weakness, because of our struggles Because of our sins, we've got to always come back to the gospel. Again, it roots us in real history. He died on a real cross, and he was buried in a real tomb, and he rose again from that real tomb. It really happens. It roots our faith in real history, in a real person. So that when you doubt that Jesus died for you and rose for you, when you fall into sin and you think, how could Jesus have died for this guy, you remember, it's not about you. It's not about your faith. It's not about the strength of your faith. It's not about how holy you can be. It's not about how good you are as a Christian. It's not about how many times you come to church. How much money you give. How much time you give. To serve, how, many, how many hours you spend praying and reading the word. The gospel is about Christ. And so here's Luke writing to Theophilus that he might know for certain the things that he's believed in the Gospel of Luke, and he's writing to him again. The things that Jesus is continuing to do. And he begins by saying, don't forget the Gospel. He died and was raised. And so his first volume was all about what Jesus began to do. And he summarizes that with death and resurrection, so that you and I might be sure, confident, assured, firm in our faith. But notice also that he talks about what Jesus began to teach, what Jesus began to teach there. uh, When he says, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, to do and teach. Well, what was it that Jesus began to teach while he was with his apostles, his disciples, before his ascension, death and resurrection, what did he teach them and and, and say to them? He presented himself alive to them for for suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. He is the king and he died as a king and was raised as a king. And he now sends them out as king, as his kingdom subjects and servants, into the world. And so we spoke of the kingdom of God. When you read your Old Testament, what's like one of the main images, the main uh, metaphors, the main symbols, the main descriptions of what and who God is? We read over and over and over again that God is king. The Psalms, for example, in Psalm 103, verse number 19, his kingdom is over all. God rules over everything. He's made it all. It all exists because of him. He's king over all. And especially and particularly, he's king over and in Israel, his people. Psalm 147. Verse 20. So their hope was that God, the King, the Lord, who was God over all other gods, there's no God like Him. There's no God before Him, Prophet Isaiah says, and we sang this morning. He's King. He's Lord. But yet they went into exile. We just read about that in Lamentations, and we've been we spent a long time reading through the the prophecy of of Jeremiah. Uh, They sinned, God was displeased. He sent enemies against them. He let he, uh, he, he sent them packing uh, in exile. And so while they're in exile, it didn't look like God was king. It sure looked like Nebuchadnezzar was king. It sure looked like the Persians were king. And it looked like during that time, uh, that intertestamental period, it looked like Alexander the Great was king and all those others kings and rulers and leaders were king, not God. And that's why Daniel, in, in exile, in Babylon, describes the hope of Israel that the Lord is king. He's that ancient of days who is seated upon a throne forever, even in exile. They long for their king to be manifested as king to them and to the world. And it's not a coincidence then, it's not a surprise then that when we read in the Bible that God is king, but yet they're longing for him, in a sense, to be king again, because it doesn't look like he's king in the exile, the first thing we read in the gospel stories is repent, believe. Because what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus Christ is that Ancient of Days. He is that king. And he's come to rule and to reign once again upon This earth. The king has gone from exile with his people and he's gone back into the promised land. God is king, and so he taught them for 40 days between his resurrection and uh, ascension. For 40 days, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And that, of course, leads them to ask that great question in verse 6. when they had come together during that 40-day period between, ascension, uh, between uh, resurrection and ascension, they asked him the, the most obvious, logical, inevitable question imaginable. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? There's that time in which, uh, I think it's in the Gospel of John, uh, I think it's in chapter 12, actually, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 12, where, where Jesus is, is teaching and there's a crowd of people, huge crowd of people in Jerusalem surrounding Jesus. And, the, and, and, and John tells us that they tried, we're not told who, but they tried to seize him and to make him king. But it says Jesus got away somehow. It always tells us somehow Jesus got away. We're not sure how. Got away. I mean, by brute force did he beat his way through the crowd? Did he? Did he? Was he transported? Did he? You know, we're not sure. He somehow got away. They wanted him to be king on the on that great uh, on that great day uh, of the triumphal entry. Uh, they were waving palm branches, which was a symbol of kingship in that period between the Old and New Testaments. It was a symbol of the king, and they were expecting him riding on a donkey. Uh, Strangely, a symbol of an Old Testament king. They thought he was going to set up the kingdom right then and there. Could he have? In theory, he could have. I mean, obviously he had to die, but he could have. Didn't he tell Pontius Pilate that if he wanted to, he could send down legions of angels to do what he wanted to do at that point? But he submitted his hands to be bound, to be crucified. Lord, will you at this time (coughs) restore the kingdom to Israel? You didn't do it yet. You you changed our expectations. We thought you were going to do it, but yet you died, and here you are alive. Okay, Lord, now, right? You've proved your point. You can give yourself up to death and and you can rise again and take up your own life. As you said, you lay it on your life and you're the only one who raises it up again. You've proved the point, Lord. You've died for our sins. You've been raised. Time for eternity to start and start heaven, right? Will you at this time restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? Does Jesus answer their question? Yeah, he does. It's not for you to know, he says. Times, seasons, the Father's fixed by his authority. So I want you to see this that on the one hand, he doesn't answer them how they wanted to be answered, but he does answer them. They expected the kingdom to be restored in an earthly way, in an, in an Old Testament kind of way. They wanted, the, uh, the, uh, they, they wanted David upon a throne. And they wanted to cleanse the land of uncleanness as God had commanded Joshua to do. And they wanted to be the people of God that the Old Testament envisioned. And so they thought restore kingdom means all those Old Testament images. It's not for you to know the times and seasons for these sorts of things. But notice in verse 8, he says something interesting that he... Uh, that they will receive power when the spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses throughout uh, the world. On the one hand, he doesn't uh, their expectations were misguided, and he's not going to restore the kingdom in that way. But he does something. It's in a different way, though. The kingdom is not restored in that earthly way to Israel, but the kingdom comes to the world, notice. Do you see that? God's kingdom is not a thing that just, it's in one geographic area, and it's only going to come, you know, we might read this and say, well, it's not here yet, the kingdom is not here yet, and we're still waiting for a future when the kingdom is in Israel geopolitical national Israel. You know, Netanyahu is now the the new prime minister again, right? And people get excited for these kinds of things. You know, maybe this is, you know, a precursor to the kingdom. No, Jesus says the kingdom has drawn near already in the gospel. The kingdom is coming. We pray thy kingdom come, don't we? How does it come? When the spirit with power comes upon those first disciples and they are witnesses of what? What are they witnesses of? You'll be my witnesses. Of what? What are they testifying of? Of Jesus Christ. Who did what? Who died and he rose again, right? He's suffering and is presenting himself alive to them. Uh, in many ways, with many proofs before his ascension. You'll be my witnesses. Where? Where else? Judea. Where else? Samaria. Where else? The ends of the earth. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, yes and no. No, in the way that you expect it. Yes, in the way that I, God, had already promised to Father Abraham to be a father of many nations, with sons and daughters as many as the stars of the air, the sand of the sea that we saw in Genesis. Kings would come from him. Nations would come from him. And how is that going to happen if it's only locked up in one little geopolitical country? It comes because Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach all the nations. Doesn't he say that? Jesus said it because Abraham, because Jesus said it to God. Uh, Jesus, as God, said it to Abraham uh, in the Old Testament. And that same God, when he came and died and rose again, says to his disciples, go into all the nations, baptizing and so he's saying that again. You're going to receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you're going to go out into all the nations. And notice that, that verse 8 is an outline. We're going to see it's an outline for the whole book of Acts. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. Jerusalem, the capital city. Judea, that southern uh, region of the promised land. That's in chapters 1 through 7. Chapters 1 through 7 is happening all in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Samaria, right? That's that sort of intermediate between Judea in the south and, and Israel in the north. There's that Samaritan land. That's where the, uh, the, uh, the Assyrians, when they first came in 722 and took the Israelites captive, they left all the poor people there in the promised land, and they brought their own people, and they intermarried with them, and they became what were known Samaritans. They were half-breed. That's why in John 4, when Jesus talks to that Samaritan woman at the well, she says, you know, we worship on this mountain, you guys go on that mountain. And Jesus says, there is no more holy place, holy temple, mountain. You worship God in spirit and true. But you'll be my witnesses in Samaria, that's chapters 8 through 12. And to the ends of the earth. The missionary journeys of Paul, chapter 13, to the end. The ends of the earth showing us that the gospel is going out. The kingdom of God is expanding. Christ as king, God as king, God as Lord uh, is restoring that kingship and he's renewing all things already through the gospel, we'll see. And so Jesus began to do many things. He began to teach Many things, especially about the kingdom and the spirit, he says there again, verses four and five. The spirit, you've got to wait to receive the promise of the spirit. How was it that this that, that this fearful little holy huddle that was afraid? That was afraid, they were hiding behind locked doors in the gospel stories. And Jesus comes to them and he tells them, You've got to wait. Don't don't run. They're on your trail, they're gonna persecute you to death. Do not leave. Why'd they stay? And what gave this this, this fearful crowd, a small little group of, of Jewish men and women, what gave them such confidence not to be afraid to go out and to testify? What gave them confidence? The Holy Spirit. you receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. The Spirit of God, Jesus says, is that deciding factor, as it were, between your fear and your confidence. And notice that you'll be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. He gives them power, strength, confidence to go out and testify that Jesus Christ died and was raised. And so he was taken up. He, we see that also. The first, the first volume is about the, his taking up. So verses 9 through 11 picks up where chapter 24 left off of Luke's gospel. Uh, and the interesting thing to notice there just quickly is, is how he's taken up. Uh, they are, they are, uh, as he's speaking those things to them, they, they look on, and Jesus is lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, and so forth. Maybe Luke was just saying it happened to be a cloudy day. Could have been, right? Clouds are a natural phenomenon, and you know, it just could have been a cloudy day. And so when he went up, it looked like a cloud was sort of you know, lifting him up, as it were. But in the Bible, what happened? Like when, Whenever we see God, we typically see clouds. It's kind of a strange thing, but it's just, just how God does it. In the old and now we see New Testament. When God appeared to Father Abram, Genesis fifteen, he he fell asleep at night. He had that strange dream, that strange vision, and he saw God uh, uh, appear. He saw that smoking firepot, that burning torch. Right, remember that from Genesis fifteen? Really strange, smoking firepot, burning torch. And what was and 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 what was it doing? It was passing between that. Smoke and fire was passing between the animals that Abraham had sacrificed and laid out. It was the Lord who passed through. But he appeared like fire and cloud, fire and cloud. Later on in the Exodus story, when the Israelites are brought out of of Egypt, and they're brought out into the wilderness, and then Pharaoh begins to chase them down with chariots. During the day and during the night, how does God appear? At nighttime, when they can't see anything, they don't know where to go, how does God appear? There's a fire by night, and during the daytime, by a cloud, right? Who was in that, or who was that fire? Who was in that cloud? The Lord. The Lord. At Mount Sinai, when the people of God were surrounding the bottom of it, and Moses goes up to the top, they can't even see. Why? Because the whole mountain is engulfed in what? Cloud. And Moses met with God face to face. So God was in the cloud. So was Moses. When Isaiah meets God in the temple in Isaiah 6, what fills the temple? Smoke, right? Cloud. Smoke. When Jesus appears with uh, Matthew, uh, with uh, Peter, James, and John, Uh, at the Mount of Transfiguration. When, When they see Jesus in his glory, they go up that mountaintop. Do you remember what the story says in Matthew 17? What covers that mountain, just like Mount Sinai? A cloud. A cloud. And so here he is ascending to heaven, Jesus, the one who's died and been raised. But they call him Lord, right? We see his humanity, we see his divinity here. A cloud took him up out of their sight and when Jesus returns Jesus said in Matthew I think it was in Matthew 24 how is he going to return? upon the clouds of glory right? the clouds of glory the glorious clouds not just earthly clouds not just that a lot of precip- precipitation and the moisture hit uh, uh, the, uh, the molecules of, of water uh, uh, formed together and, and uh, uh, attached themselves to dust in the air and then made a bunch of clouds no, the clouds of glory. It's the glorious cloud of God himself. Luke, Volume 1, is all about that. It's all about what Jesus did. His death and resurrection, what he taught, with the kingdom of the Holy Spirit, and then he's taken up. And picking up from that, then, uh, as Luke says here, uh, in the first book, the first volume, O Theophilus, friend of God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. By saying all the things that he began to do in that first volume that went all the way up to the the ascension, that implies that Jesus is still doing something. And that in the second volume, especially, he's going to focus on that. What Jesus is doing, what he's continuing to do. How is he going to do it, though? That's the question. How is Jesus, who is now ascended upon the cloud of glory, at the right hand of God, how is he going to continue to do and to teach on earth when he's in heaven? What does the text say? Until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. So how is Jesus now from heaven exercising his power as king and how is he doing mighty works and how is he teaching? He's doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit through, by means of, in that context, the apostles. In Luke's Gospel, chapters 3 and 4, we have there Jesus being baptized by John. The Spirit of God descends out of heaven. And then what's the first thing he does? He goes into a synagogue and he reads Isaiah 61. And he says, these things are now being fulfilled. The Spirit of God empowered him and he goes out and preaches. We have the same pattern here. The difference is that now it's Christ at the right hand of God who sends that Spirit down upon these apostles and disciples, and then they go out and they preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit, testifying of what Jesus has done as my witnesses, he says. And so the book of Acts, your title might say like this, uh, this ESV uh, says, the Acts of the Apostles. Yes, that's true. It describes the apostles, Peter, Paul especially, and John especially but these are the acts of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That just makes it really long, though, doesn't it? It's not as catchy to say the acts or just acts, right? But that's what acts is about. The the, the ongoing, continuing, present work of the ascended King, our Lord himself, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, who died and who was raised for us, He's still doing something in the world. He's doing it by His Holy Spirit through human beings. In those days, the apostles, and we'll see, it's more than just the apostles. Because the apostles go out and they preach and they teach and and they disciple and they baptize. And then others believe. And then those also go out and they spread the word. So how's Jesus going to work through OURC? Well, we know, that, we know that Jesus has already died and been raised, and that's, again, the, 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 the rock upon which we put our feet and that we want to hear every single Sunday the gospel. But Jesus is still at work. What, how, how is he going to work through us? I don't see any apostles here. I mean, I, I, I saw Miranda walking this morning looking like Jacob hobbling with his little hip injury from from uh, getting his groove on last night on the dance floor. Okay, so we got a Jacob here. we got, we got a patriarch, right? But no apostles, right? No, no apostles. How is Jesus going to use you? Me? And the hand, it's, it's 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 ridiculous and ludicrous to even think. Right? It's sort of audacious to say that he's going to use me. Were Peter and John and James and Paul? I mean, were they any better than you? Different than you? Was Was it because they they reached a level of holiness? They were on fire. They were sold out. They ceased conscious sin. They were they were they were completely open vessels, and that's why that's why they could be used. Is that true? So how Jesus is Jesus going to use you? How, how How is Christ, the ascended Christ, going to work through us? We, we can get down and we can get discouraged. Uh, we, can, we can be sad when people move away. I'm not looking at you, Bobby, okay? But how is Christ going to use us? Well, on the, on, by the Holy Spirit, right? On the one hand, it has nothing to do with you and me. Nothing. This is is the ascended key. He is doing things. That's what Luke says. Uh, I I, I began to write about what he began to do and teach. Again, uh, implying what he is presently doing and teaching. It's what Christ is doing. He is going to do what he's going to do. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity has nothing to do with us on the one hand. On the other hand, it does have everything to do with us. Because we're not frozen shells, and we're not hyper-Calvinists. We don't just think, well, God God chooses, and and that that settles it. People are going to wake up one day, and just the light goes on, and they're saying, no, it depends upon us, that Christ uses us. But the comfort is that it's the king. Right? The king. And if the king wants to use you and, and me, he's going to equip you and me, isn't he? I mean, is he able to equip you to do something for him? Yeah. How, how is he going to do that? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. We come to Christ, we, we put our hope in him. Uh, he is our king, he is the Lord. We belong to his kingdom, we're citizens of that kingdom, we trust in his death and resurrection. And, and, and we are we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we trust in Christ we are sealed with the Holy Spirit Ephesians 1 says we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies again Ephesians 1 says that we've been baptized in the Spirit already 1 Corinthians 12 says that for the apostles they had to wait because we'll see Pentecost was a very special moment in the history of God's saving plan but from that point forward, those who embrace the gospel, those who trust in Christ for all that he had done, uh, has done for them, also receive the Spirit of God to empower us, to enable us, to be witnesses of death and resurrection of Christ to the world. And so, Jesus, I think I can confidently say to you and to me this morning, I hope this applies to us, uh, and, we, and we go forth with great confidence to say that Jesus isn't done. He's not done working in the world because he hasn't yet saved that final soul. And until he comes again, I think we can confidently say that Jesus is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, using people like the apostles, like pastors, like every believer to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Let's go out with confidence as we read this second volume of Luke. We see what, at least historically speaking, what Christ by the Spirit did through the apostles. That should be tremendous encouragement and empowerment to us that Jesus is still at work here in this little church and he's going to be at work in this little church because we trust him we rely upon him and his spirit not ourselves and we come this morning with our sins and our burdens and our worries and our our tears and our in our cries to the lord Uh, we feel inadequate we feel empty we feel depressed we feel discouraged Uh, we feel like jesus is done with us we feel like the church is not going to Be what it once was, whatever it might be. But we come this morning, we trust in Christ. This Jesus right here. And to encourage us along, he gives us these little aids to our faith, the Lord's Supper. Come this morning to Jesus by faith. Receive the Lord's Supper. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go out and serve. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your spirits, the blessing of your word. The blessing of the history of the, of the faith that you have passed down to us, and here we are this morning, and so far removed and so distant, but yet we have this uh, book uh, that acts like a bridge for us. And as we read through it, as we meditate upon it, help us, Lord, to cross over that bridge uh, to the past, but also, Lord, from that uh, going out into the future, we pray, with confidence and joy uh, in your name. And so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, empower us. Uh, enable us, enliven us, encourage us with the good news of Jesus. It alone is the great power to save. And we ask that you would use us this very week in the life of someone that needs to know Christ. We ask it all in his name and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.